All right, thanks for joining us again. My name is Zach Voorhees. I'm the Google whistleblower, and this is another episode of Stop Bit Burning. Uh, today, we're very excited to have as a guest, uh, E. Michael Jones. E. Michael Jones, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, so E. Michael Jones uh, is, it's Dr. E. Michael Jones, has been a prolific author. Uh, he's written several books. Uh, and recently, every single book that he's ever published on Amazon has been pulled. So we're going to get his story of censorship and put it on record. Um, you know, and so, you know, Dr. Jones, you love to talk. So I'm just going to let you sort of like start off with anything that you want to say before we get into the question section. Okay. I, I started off uh, almost 40 years ago, uh, uh, was uh, basically fired from an academic position at St. Mary's College, uh, fired from a Catholic college for opposing abortion, decided to get out of academe, and I started a magazine called Fidelity Magazine at the time. At this point in human history, uh, there were no computers to do layout. Uh, you basically advertised through direct mail, which means that you used the post office. By using the post office, uh, you uh, basically had a secure channel of communication because you could say pretty much whatever you wanted uh, as long as you weren't sending obscene material through the mail. Uh, that was all that the mail, uh, that was all they were concerned about. So that's how we started. You had a limited reach because you had limited numbers of email, uh, mailing lists that you could mail to. And so it ended up that for the most part, you mailed to a group of uh, 20,000 people. And if you were lucky, you got all of them. And that's pretty much happened to me. I got all of the people on, on that list. The, uh, the magazine that kind of got this started was um, National Review. They mailed to the people who went to Joe McCarthy's funeral. And they compiled a list of, uh, that was larger than that. This, this was a business as you, as, as you did it back then. Uh, book publishing was something where you tried to get with a big distributor. And uh, they would send out salesmen and they'd go to things called bookstores. All of this has changed, okay? All of this has changed over this period of time. What you have over 40 years is the passing of a generation of people. Uh, these were the people who knew that if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted the information, you paid for the information. You wrote a check, you put the check in an envelope and you mailed it back and then you got a piece of paper in the mail back and that magazine, you established a kind of community. Over this period of time, a whole group of people just died off and they were replaced by a new group of people, uh, their children. So I was walking down the street in Manhattan and a guy comes up to me and he says, you're, you're E. Michael Jones. I said, yes. He says, my father subscribed to your magazine. I grew up reading your magazine. I said, great. Do you subscribe? No, I don't subscribe because he has a little machine and now you get your information otherwise. So what you had was a new technology that arose during this period of time. Now with new technologies, it's a kind of wide open field. Nobody knows what it is. It's not a road. It's not a railroad. It's not a post office. What is it? Well, that's pretty much what we have to kind of hammer out right now because there was a time when railroads were a new technology, okay? And you built the railroad to the, uh, the went to the, uh, the, the valley where the people grew the crops 
and they were happy to see you and they brought the crops to you and you put them on the train and they went to market and they made money and everyone was happy until they had a monopoly. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, these people started grinding the farmer. I'm talking about the railroads. If you want to read it, it's uh, uh, in literature, it's Frank Norris's book, uh, The Octopus, about the power that the railroads had in California and how they could simply grind people uh, for profit to the extent of destroying the small farmer because he couldn't afford the, the freight anymore. That's the situation we're in right now. We have a new technology and nobody knows what it is. Uh, There are two options pretty much right now. It's either a platform or it's a publisher. And what you're seeing here is that they want to have it both ways. They want to have whichever way allows them to maximize their profit and and, uh, minimize the pressure that people put on, on them. So we're talking about a new highway for the flow of information. And we have initial uh, effects, initial attempts to, to deal with it, like the Communications Decency Act, uh, which was basically brought out in the Clinton administration. You know what the purpose was by the title. The purpose of this act was to make pornography immune from prosecution. That was the whole point of this. This was a new vehicle. And the reason this was so was because pornography is a form of political control. The Clintons knew that, that's why they did this. I've written a book on this, it's called Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. So what we have now is a situation where we've had a number of years of experience and then immediate, during this period of time, we have players that are arriving on the scene who wanna take complete control over this new technology for their benefit. One of these groups is uh, the Anti-Defamation League. It's a Jewish organization. They announced uh, in November of 2019 that uh, they had a conference and there was Sasha Baron Cohen and he announced, he basically came out and threatened Silicon Valley. You people uh, better ban the people that we don't like. And they created a term called hate speech, okay? Uh, Hate speech is any speech that the Anti-Defamation League doesn't like. Okay, at this point, they then gave a list of 10 people. And I was one of them. So in many ways, it was an honor to be one of 10 people out of the billions of people who were involved in the internet. I was named at that point. Now, at this point, uh, I am, they called me a name. They called me an anti-Semite. Okay, I wrote a book about this whole idea of calling people anti-Semites. It was called the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. This was my defense against that charge. Now, generally, if someone levels a charge like this against you, you have no defense. You're guilty. Uh, and, And I tried to write this book and tried to contextualize this thing, and the book did very well. It was, it was uh, sold through Amazon. Uh, I know it did well because we had the sales figures, but I could also read the reviews that I got uh, on Amazon. Five-star reviews. I mean, the average, even though there are people who are paid to dislike my books, I know that. And even if you factor that in, the average was still like 4.5. All of those reviews were uh, deleted. All of all the material I could use to defend myself was simply uh, deleted and I was left completely defenseless here. 
Now, this is uh, something that also involves uh, Google. Okay, now Google, uh, to their credit, uh, gives you a warning, uh, which is something that Amazon did not do. But Google then takes over uh, the, all, all of these corporations, uh, all of these corporations, now they have the power of a government and they have no accountability. And this is precisely the situation that has to change. So if you're back in that valley in California in the 1890s and the railroad is the only way you can get your crops out of town, they have the power of the government. And given America's ideology, there is no regulation. This is, a regulation is unknown at this period of time. And so the railroad can simply say to the farmer, we will charge whatever the market will bear. That's it. That's the only rule. You don't like it, then build your own railroad. That's exactly the situation we are in. There is, Google has the power of a government. Google overthrew the government in Ireland. We did a story on that. Google and, now, and Egypt, by the way. I don't know if you know this, but there was a Google I don't know employee. that story. We did a story on how Google overthrew the government in Ireland. It's in uh, Culture Wars. You can go to culturewars.com and see, get a back issue of what we're talking about here. This is, a, this is a, an organization that has more power than the Irish government. It has more power, as you're saying, than the Egyptian government has more power than government. And there is no accountability here whatsoever. And so Google will now say, uh, I, you know, I, I once had a Wikipedia page that was taken down. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't control my own Wikipedia page. So now, in the beginning, Amazon said, uh, E. Michael Jones is a Catholic writer. Well, that's true. Well, now they say, E. Michael Jones is an anti-Semitic Catholic writer. Well, I have no defense here. I cannot change that. How, can you, how, can you, how do you have the right to basically say something about me that is simply not true, I wrote a book that's 1,200 pages long explaining why that is false, why that cannot be true. And what is your response? Not, not your response. What is the response of the Anti-Defamation League? They deny me the right to sell the book. So I am, I am completely defenseless here. And I, I am not alone in this because what you have is a completely unregulated industry. Nobody even knows what it is. Uh, where it fits in, like between railroads and newspapers and roads, whatever it, what is it? We don't even, we're still throwing out, we're still trying to come up with the identity to formulate the identity. And in the meantime, these agents can go in there and take it over completely. So basically when the ADL shows up and, and goes to the, whoever it is, the $15 an hour guy who was in charge of doing this and pushes this guy to the wall and pokes the finger in his chest and says, you're gonna do this, what's he gonna say? What's he gonna say? They're too powerful. And so they can control everything to their benefit and the majority has no recourse whatsoever. Now at this point, we need some type of course correction. And in the scheme of things, the only thing that is big enough to take on a corporation of this size or a group as pernicious as the ADL is the government. This is why we have government. We need the government to step in and protect us from these rapacious monopolists 
who are basically have no, they are holders in complete contempt in the same way that the railroads held the farmers in contempt in California. Someone's got to step in and say, no, you can't do this. There got to be parameters. We have to have some type of the common good that will allow these people to defend themselves. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I do agree uh, with pretty much everything that you said, though. I think that, uh, you know, I think that the state of the monopoly has been granted by government fiat. And by taking that fiat away, we can, you know, allow Google to sort of collapse. And, you know, I also want to say that one of the big business models of big tech is selling your data. And they don't really talk about that in their financial disclosures. Oh, this is how much money that we made by, you know, selling your data. They're getting it in through other ways. And this is kind of a um, uh, well-known in Silicon Valley in which they state, um, if the product is free, then you are the product. And what right. we must realize is that a lot of the data that you generate as you're going online, on your mobile phone, that's being collected, that's being aggregated, that's being sold to intelligence communities around the world in different nations. And what's dangerous about that is that we don't get a reciprocal you know, fire hose from their citizens. And this is you know, creating a really big problem where if you say something that the Chinese Communist Party doesn't like, then they know your location. That means that they can send out an assassin. You know, when drones and robotics become more ubiquitous, they'll be able to like drone assassinate people that they don't like that speak out against them. And um, people in America and the military won't have any ability to do the same sort of thing. And so, you know, one of the things I want to let you know is that this data pipe that's being exported to these other countries is going to be stopped. Uh, I've heard musings about an internet bill of rights. Uh, in whatever form that it takes, there's change that's coming on the horizon. I want to get to some of the questions that I've got for you. Um, you know, we're already about 20 minutes in, so uh, I'm going to ask uh, basically the ones that apply to you the most. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, uh, doctor, uh, do you agree with this statement? Google YouTube was a great system in 2015. You know, I don't have a specific date in mind, but I mean, I think it was a great idea to allow some type of uh, independent forum. It's a forum. Okay. It's a platform. It's a marketplace. It's something that should be open to the public. Uh, why did it come about? Because uh, of the total control of the other uh, as, uh, outlets of information. Uh, the mainstream media, for example, uh, the total control of that group of people for, in the interest of the people who own them. Academe. I was a refugee from Academe. Okay, that had been totally taken over. So this, this was a new operation. People flooded into it. These people made it what it is uh, by 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 using it, by patronizing it. And then suddenly the, they changed the, the rules of engagement and suddenly it's not what it was uh, at that time. But uh, to your specific question, no, I can't come up with a specific date, but I mean, that's, that's my sense that something changed along the way. Donald Trump got elected. That's, that's the biggest thing that I can see, which, was, which changed everything is the wrong person got uh, into the presidency. But I digress. Um, so, uh, doctor, when did you first start feeling that your content was being suppressed? 
Well, it was over 2019. It was. I've already mentioned the the ADL uh, naming me. I had the, the the I had gotten on their list before. Okay, as, as soon as I wrote the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, it showed up on their radar screen, and they started their character assassination because no one is allowed to contest their narrative. It's that simple. I had contested the narrative. The book uh, was a, a sort of success, just as all of this stuff was getting started, including Amazon. Amazon was just get, taking off at this point. I'm talking about 2009, where it was a kind of new thing and people you know, didn't quite know. It was just books at that point. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, started, it started to uh, uh, catch on uh, at that point. And it, it was over this period of time that I finally learned how to use social media. So in other words, uh, I wasn't on YouTube at the beginning, but I got on YouTube and I found that if you go on YouTube and you start talking, uh, uh, people will take notice and they will go to Amazon or go, go to your website. And so the book sales started to pick up. And then I made connection with, a, a, a finally made connection with that, 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 that generation. I mentioned that, you know, the street in New York, you know, I had sold magazines to his father. He hadn't come aboard, and I made contact with that generation. And that's what really upset the ADL. So one of the milestones there was going on Owen Benjamin's show. Big uh, spike in interest and spike in sales at that point. Why? Well, because I was addressing one of the main problems that faced this group of people, namely pornography and the addiction to pornography and masturbation that flowed from that that was calculated to destroy them was calculated to destroy them, keep them under control, and nobody was talking about it. I wrote a book called Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. I'm the first guy who ever said that sexual liberation was a form of control. Nobody, that, people thought that was a crazy idea when the book came out, which was about 25 years ago. But suddenly this group of people caught on to that fact because they were already under control. They were slaves of their passion. They knew that. I didn't have to explain that to them. All I had to do was explain why. And they bought into the idea and started buying the books. And so it was this point that I started to show up on the radar screen. They've said, this is not something I'm making up. They've already said it. The ADL basically said, we ignored the guy until last year. And then he got, got a following of like 50,000 subscribers on YouTube. And at that point, we had to take notice and we had to go to different methods. So that was the method that, the, 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 that they went to at, at that period of time. This thing took on a life of its own. Uh, in November, there was a, a boycott of pornography. Uh, uh, no fat November. A uh, group of people, I think I played some type of role in explaining what was going on there. People have mentioned that to me. Mm -hmm. And then the, the reaction from the oligarchs came. An article in Rolling Stone uh, criticizing these people for not watching pornography and calling them anti-Semites. This is the type of, of reaction that set in. So the big uh, change came about the uh, beginning of, I'd say, uh, 2000. 19, 2000, right down to around 2019. Yeah. When the big change, when I finally got the audience, I was spreading people. Amazon would basically, if you bought this book, then you'll like this book. And so they would spread the news. Um, I got involved in Amazon Kindle, which is eBooks. I had about 40 eBooks on Amazon Kindle. I had one uh, last year. It was called uh, 
Jewish privilege. They said it was a bestseller. Okay, that was not my designation. They called it a bestseller. As soon as you had a bestseller with Jewish in the title, that was the, uh, the, the kiss of death. Uh, the ADO went to uh, Amazon, that, that whole, that actually the straw that broke the camel's back was I wrote a review of an Amazon Prime video called Hunters, an Amazon Prime uh, series. So maybe that was what did it, because I criticized Amazon's own production. And anyway, that got all of the, uh, uh, the, uh, all of the Kindle books banned. There's no recourse. I'm sorry, but you can't have a monopoly position and no recourse and not say that that's injustice. That's not a just situation. And we have, we have been weakened by libertarianism, I think, to say, oh, well, if it's a private entity, it can't do any wrong. No, these people are more powerful than government. They're yeah. more power, certainly more powerful than Ireland, more powerful than state governments, more powerful than city governments, and you're defenseless. You have no recourse. You can't say, I'm going to vote these people out of office. You can't do that. What's, and you know, what's ironic about this is that, um, you know, with those people that had a no-fap November and then they were attacked by Rolling Stone for being anti-Semitic. Now, I've heard that in Israel, um, it, it, porn is very tightly controlled in that country. Is that true? Yes. Well, look, Israel, I, I started, uh, I gave a talk uh, uh, all over the world, okay? And it was about how the Israelis entered Ramallah in 2002, and the first thing they did was take over the TV stations, and the second thing they did was broadcast pornography over the TV stations, Palestinian TV stations. Now, this is important because it shows that pornography is a weapon. That's what it is. That's why the, that's why the IDF uses it. It's a weapon. And the weapon got turned on the United States of America to get, basically take out an entire generation of men in their 20s. It's that simple. These are ruthless people, you know, and they don't allow it on their own people because they know it's, it's toxic. That's why they're doing it. So how have they constricted it in Israel? They, they, they have limited it to, first of all, you can't limit it because you're on the internet. You, can, you know more than I do about how you can control internet portals. But basically what they're saying is that they're controlling it for, it's, it's for external consumption. That's what it was in the United States of America. The pornography was a Jewish operation from the beginning. It was created, okay, as a toxic weapon that could just be broadcast because most of the effect would be on the majority. Okay, you don't have to regulate this. All you have to do is deregulate it. It will have an effect on the majority. The majority will be weakened as a result. And when the majority is weakened, then the minority, this certain minority gets stronger. That has been the strategy in the United States. In Israel, it's a slightly different situation because they control the government. Gotcha. So, um, you know, you, you got real big on YouTube. Do you still have your YouTube channel? Yes, yes. Okay. See, now, the difference, uh, YouTube will warn me, and then they will give me uh, a strike. And then if you let it go for a while, the strike disappears. Mm -hmm. This is much more fair than what Amazon did to me. There was no recourse. There was no warning. There was no nothing. It was just suddenly you're, you disappear. You, you're, you've disappeared as a person. And on top of that, they have taken away all of the content that those reviewers wrote. 
which is not their content. I mean, maybe legally they could claim it is, but that's not what people wrote that with a purpose in mind. And that's all gone. In addition to any reference to my book. Um, are your books still available anywhere on the internet? How can viewers find them? Yes, yes. This, uh, okay, you can go to fidelitypress.org or culturewars.com and all of my books are available at this, uh, at this internet site. So the paradox, so I mean, I, I, the paradox here is, okay, my latest book is Logos Rising, mm -hmm. A History of Ultimate Reality. This book came out in, uh, in uh, I believe it was end of March, beginning of April of this year. Okay, we did not put this book on Amazon. This book has sold better than any other book I have ever written. And it's never been on Amazon. So it was kind of prophetic. Uh, it was, I was glad that we did this, we anticipated this, because first of all, Amazon is completely ruthless in the way it treats suppliers okay, content providers. The customer is always right at Amazon, mm -hmm. which means if the customer uh, tries to cheat you out of a sale and say, I don't like the book, there are no questions asked. They refund all of the money, including the postage, and you're stuck without a book uh, and you lost all that money. They are completely ruthless in this regard and you, you just can't, you can't complain. There's a, someone you're supposed to be able to talk to. It, it, it makes virtually no difference whatsoever. They simply do that all the time. So we, we did not put Logos Rising on that, on Amazon. And now uh, we are continuing to sell the book because this YouTube uh, phenomenon has generated uh, a kind of word of mouth all on its own. And people uh, know about it. We did, we announced the Amazon censorship, and uh, people know about it. And so uh, the orders spiked. The orders have spiked because they realize how fragile this connection is, how yeah. easily it can be broken. Mm -hmm. um, and I I gotta say that the production quality on the videos that you put out are just top notch and there's a really great synergy between the um the way that you assemble the video and the message that you're able to to put and i just want to i don't know who does that but i, I want to compliment them and uh yeah, say that they're it's amazing yeah it's my assistant dave riley who has been a big help uh, over this past year and some months uh, assembling these videos shorter videos uh having a reach that we never had before yeah um so have you noticed any sort of like censorship with Google on its search page? Like, is it harder and harder to find uh, E. Michael Jones on yes. the internet? Yes, yes, it is. There's clearly an algorithm at work here that is discouraging people from going to my, to my website. So it's not the overt uh, iron fist type of uh, censorship that the ADL would like and got at Amazon, but it's there. It's clearly there to tr try to discourage people from going and uh, seeing what I have to say. You, I, I mean, I should be asking you this question because you know more about the way these algorithms work than I do. I mean, yeah, I know that they're, that they're, that they're doing this and I know how they're doing this. And I know how they, they censor people. Um, you know, but it can't just be me talking. I got to, we got to get the story through the people that are the victims of this machine. Well, you know? I'm the victim and I'm not the perpetrator. And I don't, I've never worked there. I don't know how the perpetrators work. 
but I know that they do. They can manipulate how you get something. They can manipulate uh, uh, the number of people who go to your site. I think it, it, it's, call, it's all about the manipulation and control of the flow of information. This is known as psychological warfare. Psychological warfare is prohibiting unauthorized communication among subject peoples. That's what's going on here. There is a group of people that is waging warfare against the people of the United States of America, and they are doing with impunity. Largely, I, I give it because it's a new technology and nobody understands how the technology works, but these are people are at war with the people of America, and we are going to have to have some type of response. This is why we need government. Okay, when the railroads declared war on the farmers, the government had to step in and regulate railroads and say, you are a public utility, a profit is possible, but you have to be able to observe some type of norms of the common good. We have to establish that with this new medium, because if we don't, there's going to be violence. I mean, we're already seeing violence now. We're seeing a country that is being polarized and more and more violent because there are certain groups can, that can do anything they want uh, with impunity. And there are certain groups that are doing nothing wrong. They've done, they're doing nothing wrong. They're just trying to live their lives as they have always lived them, as their parents lived them. And these people are being demonized uh, because of the color of their skin or, or whatever. You know, we've seen it already. It's happening over and over and over again. And the people who are enabling this are the media, uh, the new media as well, Google as well, this type of thing. And, and, and I want to kind of like digress and continue on with your point. Um, so uh, right now, one of the top headlines for Hacker News is um, this article talking about how, how bad it is that India is blocking 4,000 websites in their country and then one of the top posts is like yo most of these websites are related to pornography and isis right and the the leftist magazine qz is talking about how this is a travesty that there's all this censorship and it's just like yo this is the same magazine that's advocating it's saying things like oh why is youtube or google giving a platform for this undesirable person x and they're talking about they, they need to be like censored. And then they turn around and say, and says that censorship is bad. And it's like, make up your freaking, like, like make up your idea. Like what exact, or, I'm sorry, make up your mind. Like is censorship a bad thing or is censorship a good thing? And That's it's right. this, it's this back and forth, this schizophrenic sort of like, it's, it's okay when we do it to other people, but if, if anything that, you know, helps us get censored, then, it's a bad thing. And, and that's the problem is, is that, you know, if, if we had a high level of censorship or we had a low level of censorship, either one of those scenarios would be way better than, you know, censorship that's carved out to specific groups of people, yes. you know, and, and that's the problem is, is that we just want to have like a standard that everyone, you know, up, that it applies to equally. You know, and so I, I, I want to digress there for a second, getting back to the questions. Um, no, you know, I'd, I'd like to say something about that, too, because what, you, what you've seen over the period of my lifetime is the whole notion of permissible speech has been re-engineered. 
It's been engineered. And there's one group of people who did it. Okay, I will single out one of these people. His name is Alan Dershowitz. He's recently been uh, accused of child molestation on the uh, Lolita Express run by Jeffrey Epstein, mm -hmm. which he's contesting. He's trying to outlawyer the, the, the girl who uh, he allegedly molested. Okay. Now, in 1972, 73, you can see um, Alan Dershowitz on William Buckley's fire li firing line, and he is defending pornography. He's defending a film called Deep Throat. And he's defending it as free speech. Okay. You fast forward now 50 years. Okay. And now there is the same Alan Dershowitz standing beside Donald Trump in the Oval Office of the White House as Donald Trump signs the anti-BDS law into, uh, into law, government directive. Now, this means that anyone who criticizes Israel is now liable to prosecution. What, 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 have, what have we done here? We have redefined what is acceptable speech from what the uh, consensus that this country had uh, with all of the people joining in this consensus that pornography was not a good idea, okay, that pornography should not be considered free speech to the point now where uh, pornography is completely acceptable. No one is complaining about it except the victims, okay? No one is complaining about it. And instead, we are now sent off to worry about hate speech. Well, what is hate speech? It's a complete confection, a complete idea creation of the ADL, which basically says you're not allowed to criticize Jews. It's that simple. This is what happens when they go from being out of power, uh, they are uh, all in favor of free speech, to when they get in power, and then they're the, the, the most people who are always against anything that we would call free speech. That's what's happened in our, our lifetime, my lifetime, and that is why the people you're talking to are confused, because they don't understand that they're, they're supporting the very thing they claim to be opposing. Right. This, is, this is the problem here. We've completely changed the parameters of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Something is always going to be unacceptable. The question is, who defines that? And I'm saying a group like the ADL should not have the power to define what we are allowed to say on the Internet. That just goes against everything that this country stands for. Yeah, and I agree with that. And one of the starkest sort of, you know, exposures of this double standard is how when I grew up, I remember, you know, reading the liberal mainstream media saying how burning the US flag was protected speech. And now that the left has gone hard authoritarian, they're saying that if you burn an LGBT flag, that's a hate crime and deserves multiple years in prison. And it's just this, this absolutely baffling sort of double standard. And the thing is, is that it, it instills within the readers a sense of learned helplessness. Because that's right. They, and they, I think that's the purpose. That's the purpose. We are going back to the foundation of Western civilization. If you read Plato's Republic, Thrasymachus comes in and he starts talking to Socrates and he says, justice is the opinion of the powerful. 
and Socrates starts a discussion that led all the way up to the founding of the United States of America and through the rule of law to a, a conclusion to say, no, no, justice is not the opinion of the powerful. Truth is not the opinion of the powerful. These are things that are objective values out there and we have to make sure that we uphold these objective standards from the predations of the rich and the powerful. That is the whole point of what government is about. That is why this country was founded. And now the whole situation has been completely reversed. And we are back in the state of this barbarism that existed over 2,000 years ago. Well said. Um, so, you know, this is kind of an obvious answer, but I'm going to ask the question anyways. Do you believe that censorship has impacted the elections or political landscape? Well, let's, I mean, let's, be, let's contextualize by getting specific, okay? Uh, as soon as Donald Trump got elected, the oligarchs declared war on Donald Trump. And the oligarchs control the mainstream media, and that is, what, that is the main instrument of censorship. It's basically they control the flow of information. Trump used alternative media. He used Twitter as part of his campaign. He was probably the first president uh, uh, who successfully used the new media. And so this meant that they had to change the rules of the game. It, it was that simple. They created something and it was supposed to have a certain outcome. And when it didn't have that outcome, they said, no, the, we're going to change the rules. And so it's been that way ever since. And I think right now what we're doing is we're seeing the culmination of this campaign. So basically, Trump is now up for re-election. Okay, and all of these crises, everything that has happened in 2020 is basically, uh, whether it's real or not, it has been instrumentalized to ensure that Donald Trump does not get elected. Uh, the COVID virus, uh, that became a, a censorship battle because it was clear that the Democratic governors were using this as war against Donald Trump, okay? And then came the, the, uh, the protest against Floyd uh, uh, and his killing in, in Minneapolis. Again, instrumentalized. And now we're seeing uh, the backlash again with the uh, censorship on the media. All of the oligarchs agree. Okay, this man has to be prevented from taking office for another four years. We, in a sense, are all collateral damage in this campaign. You know, how it ends in the fall is it's an open question at this point, but I think that it's reaching some type of uh, frenzied climax right now. That's the way I see it. It's like one crisis on top of another yeah. to, to, to prevent a certain political outcome. And I've been talking about it now for months that this is just going to keep on getting uh, worse because if you look at this month, this month is worse than the last month, which was worse than the previous month. And so if you just plot the trajectory of the last nine months, actually four years and see where it's going, like things are going to get really scary, I believe, from now until November. We're going to see things that we've never thought we've seen well, we've before. Al we've already seen things that we've never seen before. And there was a certain point where I, I was starting to feel optimistic. And the, my optimism was based on the fact that, well, COVID just uh, precluded and preempted the hate speech campaign of 2019. Mm -hmm. And then 
uh, Black Lives Mattered obviously preempted the COVID campaign because suddenly you were allowed to go out on the speech and uh, streets and demonstrate if you were demonstrating in support of George uh, George Floyd. So, but but what I'm seeing now is it's it's not going to be that simple. It's going to be layer upon layer of control uh, over. Uh, every aspect of our lives until these people uh, basically extinguish uh, the last cells of independence in this country. I mean, if you look at a state like Michigan, <clears throat> you got a Democratic governor, you got a lesbian attorney general, and they are at war with a certain group of people from Michigan. The independent people, the independent contractors, the barbers, let's say the barber from Owasso, Michigan, who was basically going to be forced to the wall because the, the regulations hit him the hardest. This is what you saw here was basically using medicine as an excuse to destroy your political enemies. These people are never going to vote for, uh, for Governor Whitmer. They're not going to vote for Dana Nessel. She's, she got elected by the Marijuana Growers Association. These people are the enemy, according to these people. And now they have a weapon in their hands provided by the pseudo-medicine that we're talking about here to destroy their opponents. That's what's going on now. Yeah, and what's really interesting is that something's going to have to happen because I came onto the realization today that the people that are most scared about the COVID-19 virus are leftists. And yes. You know, you mail-in ballots only get you so far, but you really need that that bulk of people coming to the polls. And I realize, you know, the right wing sees this COVID for what it is, a political action in order to, you know, legalize mail-in balloting across the nation. And um, they're going to come out, you know, in droves to the poll because they don't buy the BS, but the leftists are going to stay home. And so, you know, my prediction is that there's an additional plot card that's going to be revealed in the next few months that's going to allow the leftists to come to the polls and alleviate their fears. Maybe it's the vaccine. Maybe it's like something that, that they haven't revealed yet, but I think that it's coming because I don't think that they can keep the COVID-19 PSYOP in play uh, and prevent all the leftists from going to the polls. Um, I, I do want to ask, uh, what do you, if you had any thoughts on BLM, like it was just revealed that BLM's uh, founders are, or at least the people running it, maybe it was the founders, but she admitted that she was a trained Marxist. And it's really interesting how we just keep on finding dedicated Marxists in all of these political organizations. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go back to that, that image in our minds. The white cop uh, kneeling on the, the neck of the black man on the ground in Minneapolis. Okay, uh, I, we, as Americans, we say, oh yeah, this is the racial drama. This is the white guy is guilty. The black man is innocent. He's a victim. It's racism, blah, blah, blah. Okay, you show it to a Palestinian and he sees something different. He sees the knee hold. Okay, and then I tweeted this and suddenly all these Palestinians are sending these pictures. This is the way the Israelis subdue Palestinians. Not only that, it turns out that the ADL, the same ADL we've been talking about, has arranged training sessions for virtually every police force in the United States to go be trained by Israelis who will then teach these techniques and then also teach local police officers how to treat 
the citizens of their city in the same way that Israelis treat Palestinians. Okay, that's been an established fact. When the lady in England brought it up, she got voted out of the uh, uh, Labour Party for being uh, an anti-Semitic conspiracy theorist. No, this actually happened. The Minneapolis police force went to Chicago. They were trained by Israelis in 2012. Okay, that's already happened. That's one half of the picture. The other half of the picture is the Black Lives Matter picture. And we know from what happened in Ferguson that they're supported by George Soros. Uh, George Soros gave them $32 million back when the Ferguson thing was, was hot. So what we have here uh, is a resurrection of the Black Jewish Alliance. Okay, I cover this in detail in the Jewish revolutionary spirit. This was basically Jewish organizations like the, um, the Anti-Defamation League came into existence in the wake of the uh, lynching of Leo Frank in the South. And for 70 years, the Jews tried to turn black people into revolutionaries. Guess what? They're still doing it. That's yeah. what Black Lives Matter is. It's basically Jewish money going to create black proxy warriors so that they can overthrow uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the people they don't like uh, in this country by fomenting racial conflict. It's that simple. Yeah, it's, it's an old playbook. And Yuri Bezmenov warned us about this in the 80s as a KGB defector that this was coming and that the civil rights organizations were being led by um, subverters that were working right. to undo American society. And now we're at the end stages where you know we keep on going from uh, a destabilized nation to a nation in crisis and then back again. And, you know, you can see right now, it's very clear that the uh, global oligarchs are trying to push us to the point of uh, collapse. And um, what, what is it that they don't like? The oligarchs do not like representative government. Mm -hmm. They do not like it. It was clear in the state of Indiana. It was clear with Donald Trump. This is clearly the message. And so what they do is they create these these uh, cadres, these uh, uh, attack groups like Black Lives Matter or Antifa to basically overthrow the social order and derail any type of representative government, derail the power of elected officials. Now, there are elected officials who are completely paralyzed because they basically represent the same constituency. I'm talking about the mayor of Seattle right now, Jenny Durkin, the mm -hmm. lesbian who was appointed U.S. attorney for Western Washington by Obama. These are revolutionary cadres that were put in place to basically colonize the, these places. But the goal here is to overturn all forms of representative government, especially state legislatures, uh, so that the oligarch can rule without any interference through their uh, organizations like Google, uh, Amazon, and all these other oligarchic institutions. So um, recently, the... Um I can't remember whether it was the UN, but it was a Breitbart article yesterday saying um, where some globalist organization came forward and said that now is the time to have a supreme global, uh, you know, rulership, uh, for lack of a, for exact terms. Do you have any thoughts about this? Yeah, well, what, what turns out the World Health Organization is that organization. That this is an organization that locked down the entire world. Now, the only, the only redeeming factor here in the United States of America was state government. There was a difference between New York and Indiana. There was a difference between Michigan and Indiana 
uh, even though they're right next to each other, because the local government there was uh, in Indiana was more responsive to the will of the people than Michigan was. Mm -hmm. So if you if you eliminate those local governments, uh, of course it's going to be tyrannical. Of course it's going to be the rich. I mean, the, the man, the main funder of of uh, World Health Organization is not government anymore. It's Bill Gates, and he is using it to create to, to develop vaccines, uh, which will make him even more rich and, and more powerful. So this is obvious that we're trying to overturn local government. That's the story of Ireland and Google. They took it over. They took their those corporations are more powerful than the Irish government. This is the problem. Government, the people have to restore the power of government so that government can rein in these new te technological oligopolies and monopolies. Yeah. Kent, do you want to go into exactly how Ireland was taken over by Google? Yes, they through referenda. Referenda. Okay, so they basically started with, it's a traditionally Catholic country. Mm -hmm. Let's get the Achilles heel of the Catholic country, which is sexual behavior, sexual morality. And so they started off by uh, a, a referendum on abortion. Okay, they, they could control the mob. Okay, if you can control the flow of information, you can control the outcome of the uh, of the referendum and that's precisely the role that google played there now google wasn't alone they invited uh the irish uh invited a big pharma there big pharma uh, allied itself with google because uh they made out with with these uh with these uh, uh plans uh so then they had the gay marriage referendum and again they su succeeded like a charm because you can now control the inflow of information through those little devices that people have in their hands. You know, this is the new form of control and the states are basically powerless to, to resist it. That's how they took over. We, we have a book, uh, uh, an issue of uh, Culture Wars magazine, How Google Conquered Ireland, where you can go into much greater detail about the details. I mean, basically, I, I mean, I, I, a lot of it revolves around an Irish journalist by the name of John Waters. So John Waters is about my age, a little younger than I am. And when he started out, uh, he was writing columns for the Irish Times. Uh, if you wanted to comment, you could write a letter to the editor and you had to give your name, uh, your address and your phone number. And then you had to present the letter and they would publish it and they would check on you to make sure you were a real person. All of this changed with, uh, with the iPhone, with computer technology. And at this point, nobody had to be identified as anything. And so you could create a lynch mob overnight, which is precisely what happened to John Waters. He was driven out of his position as a columnist for the Irish Times because a lynch mob appeared of people who were completely anonymous. We, it could have been one guy in Tel Aviv pushing a button 50 times with 50 mm -hmm. different names. We don't know. We don't know, but that was the lynch mob that gave the sense that the people were this and the people were that, and it was all completely manufactured with the help of the, the tech giants. Um, do you have any thoughts on um, Rene Girard? No. Okay. No, no, I mean, people have mentioned it to me. I'm, I'm not familiar with this. Right uh, you know what? I, I kept on hearing it, you know, uh, 
one of my mentors was like, Peter Thiel invested in Facebook because he wanted to test Rene Girard's theories. And I was like, what? And so I did a deep dive into Rene Girard. And it turns out he's one of the most recently influential philosophers uh, in uh, sort of Christian circles right now. And he's, he's not actually a philosopher by training. He's a uh, uh, an anthropologist, and he's been studying human behavior over 500,000 years. And his theories that he's been, you know, pushing out, they, they really haven't gotten as popular until, you know, after he died, which happens a lot. But uh, basically, it's uh, mimetic theory, which is, you know, think of a mime, you know, and copying or, or mimicking someone. I think it's called mimetic theory. So it's mimicking someone else. And he basically says that all civilization can be can be described as people um, emulating other people. And then what happens is that they get into a situation where um, a civilization becomes unstable and these um, mimetic sort of enclaves start forming and doing battle against each other. You know, uh, Romeo and Juliet is a good example of, of that mimetic battle. And then uh, the society gets so destabilized that the rulers figure out that the only way they can reunite all the people is to find a common scapegoat. And then once they figure out who that scapegoat is, then everyone piles all of the problems. But the scape in order for the scapegoat to work, there's two things. One, everyone has to agree that this scapegoat is the reason for all the problems. And second of all, they can't realize that they're scapegoating someone. And so if you, can, if you can find out those two things, then you can, you can reunify all the people from time to time to time. And so he, he developed this theory and then he revisited the story of Christ and came to this mind-blowing revel re revelation that um, Christ was the ultimate sacrifice because it turns out that sacrifice has happened in all cultures across the world for hundreds of thousands of years. And when Christ came in, he basically was like, you know, he was the ultimate sacrifice. Like sacrifices in the, in the past, they went from goats. And then, you know, if, 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 if things get really unstable, then you turn to like things that are perfect. Like, you know, it goes down to like a virgin, and then it goes to like a child. And then finally, you've got Jesus Christ, which acts as the ultimate um, sacrifice. You can't get any more holier than sacrificing the son of a god and from that you can actually say well because we've we've done the ultimate sacrifice there's no more reason to do any more sacrifice whatsoever and because of that because you can't scapegoat what's happening according to him is that we're going to have a, a systemic crisis where because we're not doing these sacrifices there's no release of this um of this energy and so it it's really interesting because I feel that we're kind of in that crisis right now. And the reason why Peter Thiel invested in Facebook is that he was wondering if the scapegoat and sacrificing behavior of communities would move from the real world onto the digital world. So if you haven't heard of Rene Girard, um, I really suggest that you, you check him out. Um, it, when I heard about it, I basically like sat around and thought about it for four hours, realizing, wow, this is like, you know, making a lot of connections. So um, yeah. if you haven't heard about it, check it out um, for you audience uh, watching this. 
I suggest you check it out as well. Uh, it's one of the hottest new things in Christianity in the last decade. Um, okay, so uh, we're, we're gonna, we're starting to come to the end. Uh, we have a few questions left though. Um, you know, what do you think Google, Amazon, big tech's motives are in their censorship? Control. I mean, I've said this before, but uh, there, are, there are two options in life. There's the city of God and the city of man. City of God is love of God to the extinction of self. City of man is love of self to the extinction of God. The, the, the operating system for the city of God is love and service to your fellow man. The city of man has to be the opposite. So what's that? It's called libido dominandi or the desire to dominate your fellow man for your good. Mm -hmm. So as I said before, it's the difference between Jesus Christ and Dracula. Jesus Christ sheds his blood so that you can have eternal life. Dracula sheds your blood so that he can have eternal life. That's the difference. Wow. Well, I just got to think about that for a second. I'm going to steal that. That's amazing. Um, so uh, moving on. Um, I, you know, honestly, I could just talk to you about random topics all day long. I really can. So, you know, what would you want to, to, to be done to be made whole again? I want my books back. I want, I want a fair, I want a level playing field for the exchange of ideas. That's all I'm asking for a level playing field. That's it. Just allow me to say my piece. Let, let the people decide whether I'm making any sense or not. The fact that you, the ADL, you, Amazon, you, the oligarchs, uh, are censoring me means that you can't answer my arguments, which means they must be good arguments. You've lost. You've lost in the context of ideas. I just want this restored. I want logos. I want dialogue. I want speech. That's what I want. What do you want? What do you want, fellas? You want libido dominandi. You want total control. You want domination. You want wealth. You want power. And no one's allowed to object. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's a good segue to sort of explain, um, you know, what Stop Bit Burning aims to do. Um, you know, censorship has really ramped up in the last four years, and now it's becoming uh, a breaking point, really. And what we see is we see the big oligarchs that control big tech uh, colluding together in order to deprive people like you, Dr. Jones, uh, with a voice. And, you know, it's gotten so bad that as a YouTube engineer working for Google for eight and a half years, I couldn't take it anymore. And after a final wave of censorship that hit in April and May of 2019 within the company, I decided that I could no longer uh, work in the belly of the beast. And I decided to resign from the company and disclose to the world exactly how Google was doing its censorship so that I could take conspiracy theory and move it to conspiracy fact. I mean, we all knew that Google and Facebook and Amazon were doing these things, but um, we didn't have the proof. And so that's the reason why I introduced that proof to the world so that um, we could take corrective action as a community, knowing what big tech was going to do. And so that's the reason why 
um, me and uh, a couple of other patriots together with uh, Dustin Nemos, uh, Miriam Hanaim are running Stop Bit Burning because what we want to do is we want to take all of these different content creators and voices and influencers and combine them into a class action lawsuit and start this class action lawsuit in a jurisdiction that's friendly to we the people. And so, you know, that's just why that we're interviewing you and getting your censorship on record. And, um, you know, you don't have to join us at this point. We're still gonna, you know, fight for you. Um, if you wanna join us at any time, uh, you can, Dr. Jones, it's my invitation to you. And we're gonna fight so that, you know, for generations to come, uh, you and people like you have a voice in America because really that's what makes America great. And when someone's trying to destroy the First Amendment by using their monopoly, they're essentially trying to destroy America because if we can't have a free market of ideas, then we can't have a free market of commerce. And really at that point, how are we no different than a communist country? And that's where we're coming you know, to if we don't do something. And that's the reason why I've decided to you know, sacrifice everything in order to write this part of history and help create a legacy of freedom and liberty that will endure for years to come. And so um, you know, that's what Stop Bit Burning is all about. And the reason why we call it Stop Bit Burning is because 100 years ago, the fascists were burning books. And today, the fascists are still around, but they're burning bits. Every single time a YouTube video gets pulled, every single time a book gets removed from Amazon, that is an act of bit burning. And that's the reason why we have to come together in one voice and say, no, you're going to stop bit burning. And that's the reason why I'm supporting stopbitburning.com. And so, um, Dr. Jones, um, I was wondering if you could uh, help us with a plug. I'm Dr. E. Michael Jones, and I support Stop Bit Burning. All right. Thank you very much. Well, that's another episode of uh, Stop Bit Burning. Um, thank you very much, Dr. E. Michael Jones, for coming and sitting down with me and talking about your story of censorship and all the other topics, it's always a pleasure. And I always look forward to talking with you. Um, to those watching us, thank you for joining us. I hope that you found this um, content enlightening. And uh, I hope that you stick around and see the other top content creators and their voices about how they got censored um, and help join us at stopbitburning.com. Thank you very much. Bye.